Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the 6 p.m. service here at Coastline Covenant. I just want to say something really quick. Every single week, Sean comes up here, and he says, Hi, Nan. So, hi, Nan. But there's no camera back there. The camera's right there. So he's looking at Nan, and Nan's probably like, who is he talking to? Is there another Nan? Is there someone? So, hi, Nan. You're right there. There's the live stream people right there. Give it up for our live streamers. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hunter Babcock. I do a lot of things here at Coastline. I uh, run the podcast and I do some social media stuff, but mostly I get to work with our wonderful junior high and high school students. And there are like six of you here. Where are you at? (laughs) Katrina. (laughs) Very, very, very excited to be preaching tonight. and when this whole coastline thing started, you know, Sean, Sean came to me and he's like, look, you're going to be doing youth, you're going to be doing, you know, tech and stuff, social media, but you're going to be able to preach more. And I was like, cool, that, that's awesome. But he didn't mean I was going to have to preach on something like I'm preaching on tonight. Like I actually don't, didn't want to preach this particular sermon when we said we're going to do the Shema series, heart, soul, mind, strength. The last one I wanted is soul. Like why can't I do heart? I'm an emotional person. Like, I I have them. I have emotions, and I could probably preach about them. Mine, I definitely have a brain, but soul. Like, I am out to lunch on what it means to have a soul. I was with Michael Barker. My wife and I went over there to give some dinner to Caitlin and Michael. We got to meet Sequoia, and Sequoia is so stinking cute. And Michael was like, Hunter, you're preaching this week on the soul. And I was like, yeah. And he said, Hunter, what do you think the soul is? And I was like, what do you think the soul is? And he's like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, neither do I, but I, I better figure it out. So I have been doing a ton of research and a ton of um, studying on this idea for the soul. And I've, I've kind of come to the conclusion that soul is a junk drawer word. Who, who has a junk drawer in their house? Right? And it's where you just kind of throw everything in. Matches, junk drawer. Screwdriver, junk drawer. Menus for chicken maison, junk drawer. It all kind of lives in there. And soul is a junk drawer word because we have so many different ideas as to what the soul is. Like if I were to ask anybody in the congregation, hey, what is the soul? They'd probably either do the Michael, like I don't know, or maybe they'd say, the soul is what makes me me. The soul is what makes me me. My creativity is my soul. And my unique nature is my soul. When when I hang out with friends, my soul comes alive. Or when I drink a good cup of coffee and enjoy the sunrise, that is my soul coming alive. Or maybe, if I were to ask you what the soul is, you'd say the immaterial, indestructible part of myself that goes on after I die and sits with Jesus in heaven, plays the harp and all that fun stuff. And I would say, hey, that's all great, but that's actually not what the Bible says the soul is. And that's, that's, that's a tough moment for us. We, we experience some tension because the soul can kind of be like a sacred cow for a lot of us where it brings us a lot of comfort, like our unique identity. Like, man, we don't want to give that up. We don't want to give up the fact that our soul is our, our unique identity, and we don't want to give up the comfort that maybe we have that the soul is what goes beyond us after we die. Like some of us have lost relatives. We've, we've maybe lost friends, and we're like, no, the soul is such a comforting thing to me. Why is this 29-year-old with a mustache standing up here saying that's not what the soul is? And so I, I have found that when we let the Bible speak for itself, it, it generally does a couple things. It deconstructs our cultural ideals of things, but it also changes them and shows us that the Bible has a better picture of what it means to be human than we could ever come up with on our own. And so tonight, what I'm hoping we can do is we can kind of deconstruct or or put away our idea of the soul. Because whatever you think it is, Scripture's version of the soul is better. 
God's version of the soul is better. It's better than our idea. It's better than the comfort of what goes on after us after we die. It's better than our individuality. It's better than we don't know. Uh, the, the idea of a soul in Scripture is something so dynamic, something so robust, and something so important that I hope we can just leave our ideas of the soul behind and we can let the Bible speak for itself. I'm not trying to steal comfort. I'm not trying to blow your mind in a million ways. I'm just trying to present Scripture in a way that maybe will change how you interact with the world around you, interact with the people around you, and interact with the God who created you. We deserve a better definition of the soul. We deserve a better one than what culture gives us or what we can come up with on our own. And I promise you that if you let the Bible speak for itself tonight, you will get that better picture. So let's pray and let's open our Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. Let me, let me pray actually first before we do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just am excited for tonight. God, I'm excited for just the opportunity that we have to open up your word and to sit under, God, what you have for us. And, and, and Lord, I know that something like this could be difficult. Something like this could be hard because we, we have our own ideas and our own thoughts, God. And that's not bad. You created us to have brains that think and make ideas, God. And, and, and tonight, this idea of the soul that we're going to find in your word, God, it allows for all that, but it allows for more. God, I, I pray tonight that we would enter into this space here at Coastline Covenant, God, where we would recognize that you have created us to be physical and spiritual beings, God. And when those two things collide, God, you really, really, really do incredible things. So tonight, we invite your spirit here. God, we invite your spirit in this place to be with us physically as we continue on in our series on the Shema. So Lord, be with us tonight. Be with me tonight. Help me speak. Uh, give me the words to say, Lord. And, and I just pray that you'd be opening hearts and opening minds. So God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Deuteronomy 6, which is on the screen, we're going to read it. Let's stand up in reverence for um, God's Word. Uh, this is this passage we have been in, and if you haven't been here for a couple weeks, we've been doing a series on the Shema called The Greatest Thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Sean Hurley did a sermon on the heart, the emotion center. Last week, Dr. Janine Hanger and not Dr. Andrew Ferris did a message on the mind, and I am doing the soul. So let's read it. Deuteronomy 6.4. Here's what God's Word says. Here. O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with your, all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. This is God's word for us tonight. You can be seated. And if you've spent time here at Coastline, you have definitely heard us preaching this. Or if you've read your New Testament, you have seen Jesus saying this is the most important thing in pretty much all of the Gospels. So this is an important passage. So it is really important for us to understand the reality of what is happening here. So, in the Hebrew, right here, we have this word nefesh. Say it with me. Nefesh. Nefesh, right. That just saved you $50,000 at Biola. You're welcome. So, nefesh is the Hebrew word for soul. It's not the word for spirit. It's the word for soul. Now, this is very important because I'm preaching a, ser a sermon about the soul, and I bet you could say, well, what does the word mean in Hebrew? Tell me what it means now. And then the sermon's over, and we go to Riviera and share some chips and salsa, and church will be over. But that's not that easy, because the word nefesh here is soul. And, and in many other places in the Old Testament, it is translated as soul. But the word nefesh is a completely crazy bonkers word. It, it is so dynamic and so wide-ranging. The most complex definition is soul, but the most basic is throat. Throat. 
So, like, think of the semantic range of a word like that. And then our Bible translators had to sit there all 750 times it comes up in the Old Testament and say, okay, how are we going to use the word nephesh here? What does it mean here? What's the essence of the word here? So we're going to look at a couple different instances kind of walking us from soul around the semantic range of the word nephesh so we can maybe see a deeper spiritual reality that we might have missed before. And ultimately, we're going to ask and answer the question, how can we love God with our souls. But to do that, we have to define it. So let's go to our first one. Oh, before we do that, I did this in the last service. I have to do it in this one as well. Everybody take your right hand. Take your right hand. Put it on your right shoulder, and then put it down to your hip. You just locked in your theological seat belts for the evening. I don't want to hear about any hurt necks or anything like that, because we are going to go very quickly through a lot of passages. So I really need you guys to stay seated at all times. All right, the first passage we are looking at is Genesis 12, 12, and 13. Now we have Abram, not Abraham yet, in Egypt with Sarah. And if you remember the story, he has Sarah lie, so something bad doesn't happen to both of them. Here's what Scripture says. When the Egyptians see you, this is Abram talking, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Now, the Hebrew word nephesh, soul, is not in that passage, but the word nephesh is translated as life. Okay, so let's think about it. Soul, life. Soul, and life. There are some commonalities here. There, there are some things that these two things have in common, and I want that to be turning over in your brain as we start to look at some more definitions. We have 1 Kings eleven thirty-seven. Here we have a prophet speaking to Solomon. However, this is on behalf of the Lord, on behalf of Yahweh. However, as for you, I will take you, and you will rule over all that your heart desires, and you will be king over Israel. Heart is the word nephesh. Okay, so heart, soul, life. All these things have one thing in common. They're not really real. You have a physical heart, and as Sean talked about a couple weeks ago, it's definitely in there, but it's the emotion center, and your emotions aren't real, right? Like, you can't weigh out fear. You can't weigh anxiety. You can't weigh joy. They, they just kind of exist in this non-physical space. Your life matters, and you have one, but could you point to your life and say, oh, that's my life. It physically exists. N no, it's non-physical. And so we're starting to understand this idea that nephesh refers to non-physical, more spiritual things. Okay, we're tracking until we're not. Let's go to our next one, which is Numbers 11.4, one of my favorite passages. This is actually a road trip passage. Uh, the Israelites are out of Egypt, and they start complaining. The rabble with them, and rabble is just another word for group. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again, the Israelites started wailing. We've all been there, and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onion, and garlic. But now, we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The Hebrew word nephesh is appetite. Okay, another non-physical word. You can't weigh your appetite, but you can be hungry. You can be hungry. Appetite is a non-physical reality, but it has an impact on the physical, right? We, we can't say, oh, my appetite looks like this, but we can say something like this could fulfill my appetite, or I could eat something and my appetite wouldn't exist anymore. So nephesh starts to become this word in Scripture, and again, it's used 750 times in the Old Testament, and it is this word that kind of defines the totality of existence, which is physical and non-physical. 
It's physical and non-physical. And again, think of the Israelites. They didn't have the same neuroscience technology we had. They didn't have the same biology books. They couldn't think about things in this way that we can now. So for them, if someone was saying, man, I'm really stressed about something and I, I feel it in my chest, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Something non-physical is impacting the physical. So that's nefesh. That's nefesh. And the best place, the best example we can see for this bridge term of physical, non-physical is in Genesis 2. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to Genesis 2. We're going to spend some time here. If you've spent any time with me at all, you know I'll always go to Genesis 1 through 3. I think it's the best part of the Bible. Don't tell Jesus I said that. And I think that everything that you need to know about the Christian life can honestly be found in Genesis 1 through 3. And so if you've read any, any part of Genesis 1 through 3, you know it's a creation story. And Genesis 1 is like, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and they were formless and without void. And it's kind of like, and he said this, and it happened the first day, the second day, the third day, so on and so forth. Genesis 2 is actually a little bit different. Genesis 2 starts with Adam and Eve. So it's kind of a different perspective, different story, or different uh, thing told in a different way. It's very, very, very interesting, but we don't have a sermon time to get into that. But Genesis 2-7 is Adam and Eve's creation. And look at what Genesis 2 says says. This is fascinating. Then the Lord God formed a man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, our cultural definition of soul, the spirit part of you, the immaterial part that makes you you, or the thing that goes beyond you, that fits the category of breath of life. You would say, yes, the Hebrew word nefesh is breath of life, only it's not. The word nefesh here is living being. The word nephesh is translated as living being. So in Genesis 2-7, the author is not saying Adam has a nephesh. He is saying that Adam is a nephesh. He's not saying that Adam has a soul. He is saying that Adam is a soul. And that makes total sense. Adam is a physical being. But he also has the Spirit of God inside of him, which connects him to the non-physical. It's this beautiful bridge term. Adam does not have a nephesh. He is a nephesh. And that's the reality for us as well, friends. You do not have a soul. You are a soul. You do not have a nephesh. You are a nephesh. And when we say that, we're just talking about the totality of what it means to be human, a human who lives in the physical, where physical things happen to you, undoubtedly. You get hungry, you get tired, you get anxious, things happen to you. But there's also this non-physical reality that we as Christians are very well aware of. And that's what this passage is saying, and that's what nephesh is saying. It contains all of the totality of existence of what it means to be a physical person on earth. Appetite, body. A lot of times uh, when you see nephesh in the Old Testament, it's like I, me, my, my whole being. Uh, when, Je uh, when Jacob goes to Egypt in Genesis, he says, I have 33 nephesh's with me. And number 6-6, when you take the Nazarite vow, it says, don't go near a dead body, a dead nephesh. Oops, that does that. And in Numbers 31-19, when you're supposed to not kidnap anybody or murder anybody, you're not supposed to be a nephesh thief or a nephesh killer. It refers to the whole totality of personhood. But that also means that there are spiritual components to that. We all understand that as Christians, there is a non-physical world with which we can interact. And the word nephesh says that lives inside of you. Jesus says it perfectly in Luke 6.45. It's not on the screens, but, but just listen to this. Jesus in Luke 6.45 says this, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. Okay, in his heart. 
And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Speaking, physical. But the heart, what's in there, non-physical. Jesus is saying, there's this interplay. There's this balance. There's this connection that the non-physical and the physical have. And that's the totality. That's the fullness of what it means to be human. And then you think about Genesis 2-7, and it really starts to make sense. Because what does God do? Look at Genesis 2-7. Then the God, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. You breathe into his nostrils, and what does that do? It goes through your throat to your lungs. Or when you're hungry and you want to satisfy your appetite, you eat and it goes through your throat. Or when you speak, it comes from your heart, out of your mouth, via your throat. So this idea of throat being a term for nephesh is not some silly like Israelites, like they were so dumb, they didn't know what they were talking about. It's actually the perfect image of what it means to be human. That we contain within us the Spirit of God, which means we are tied to the non-physical realm, but we are physical beings and we live in this realm. Friends, this is something so important because the Shema says to love the Lord God with our souls, with our entire beings, with the totality of what it means to be human. And I've been in church for, for some time, and I know some of you have been here longer, and I think that there's this sense that the physical is bad. That if it's, if it's of this earth, it's bad. Things like music or art, our creativity is bad. We should just be reading our Bibles under a tree at Wilson Park, and that's how you're supposed to live the Christian life. And that's not the truth. That's just not the truth of Scripture. This says the physical is good. You'll see that throughout the Bible, that the physical is good, because it's meant to point you back to God. That's the whole thing. If you, if you think about how God just continually works with his creation, he does it in this space. Think about miracles. In the physical space, people are sick. People are dead. People need healing. And God non-physically heals them, right? He's bringing the non-physical into the physical. It's a beautiful picture of what God loves to do, which is to work in that space, to work with his nephesh. Or you think about prophets in the Old Testament. The, these guys are, are evoking a reality that's beyond the one they can see. And they're saying, no, no, no. There, there's a different picture of reality here. And they're, they're bringing it in and, they're, and they're, they're speaking on behalf of the Lord saying, what you see here is not all that there is. Or you think of Jesus, you think of Jesus Christ who died on the cross, a physical death, and he resurrected physically. But that was a spiritual thing. That was a spiritual thing because now we are called sons and daughters of God through what he did for us on the cross. It's the ultimate picture of the space that God loves to inhabit. It's the ultimate picture of the space that God loves to work in. And that's who we are. We are nephesh. And I think a perfect passage to sum up our relationship and, and how we're supposed to understand this as Christians is Psalm 42. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. Don't complain about turning so much. You have your seatbelts on. You're supposed to be safe about this. Psalm 42, very famous psalm, very famous psalm. And the psalmist says this, as the deer pants for streams of water, soul so my soul pants for you, my God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. And side note, I said this in the last service, I'll say it in this one. When I was in high school, I went to uh, like a revival night at a church in South Bay. And they were doing like improv worship, like led by the Spirit. And um, they, the girl was just keep, kept repeating, my soul pants for God and God. Oh, she just kept saying that. And the kid leaned, next to me leaned over and he goes, what are soul pants? And so if you are thinking about starting a product, soul pants, that's the one, right? It's right there in the Bible. Anyway, anyway, side note, terrible, terrible thing. Forget I ever said that. Oh, and they're recording this one. Dang it. All right. Anyway, back up. 
The psalmist is saying something so, so important for us to wrap our heads around tonight. And that's Yahweh is the only one who can satisfy your soul. Just like your appetite, you need food to satisfy. Or just like when you're thirsty, you need water to satisfy. The psalmist says the only one who can satisfy your nefesh is God. And I think this is something that the world has kind of figured out because they say, oh, my soul, I'm a spiritual person. You've heard people say this. I'm just a spiritual person. I, I have a soul. But the difference between the world's spirituality and our spirituality is ours has a name. Ours has a connection, and it's Yahweh. And the psalmist here is saying, just like water can satisfy your earthly nefesh or, or your throat, Yahweh can satisfy the deep parts of yourself, the soul. That's what Yahweh can do, and he's the only one who can. And it's, again, no surprise that there, there's a world out there that's vying for your soul. I see this all the time working in church. Things are coming after your soul. And if you don't know what it is, just think about how you act or think about what you think about. Because what you think about will impact how you act. And what you act will impact what you think about. That's the reality of being a nefesh, the physical and the non-physical. So if you, if, if lust on the brain, right, you will act in a way that corresponds with that. Greed, power, image, fame, things like that. All of these things, they start in a non-physical space and they end up being how we live our life. And the psalmist is saying, don't let anything occupy that space other than Yahweh. And that's also what the Shema is saying. Don't let anything occupy that space other than Yahweh. And that space is your whole being. The fact that you are as big as a person connected to the Lord and as intricate as the way that you are created so uniquely in his image. Right? This idea of nefesh, it does contain this big, this big idea that we are connected to Yahweh, but there's also this little idea. These little ideas that you were created in his image and you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And those intricacies— and the bigness together, those form your nefesh. That forms who you are. So when the Shema says things like, love the Lord God with all your soul, yeah, the big things, for sure. And we'll talk about those. But also the little things as well, the unique things that make you, you. That's what makes you a nefesh. And so let's, let's go back to the Shema. Let, let, let's just land here. Because that's what we're supposed to be thinking about as we read this passage. How do we love God with our soul? And we've seen that it's a totality of being, the fact that we are physical, non-physical. How can we love the Lord our God with all of our souls? Like I said, like the psalmist says, that's the connection space. That's where we really connect with Yahweh. So first of all, we have to connect that space with Yahweh. That's the really only way we can that's a really the only way we can love God with all of our souls. And, and I think there's a few ways, a few practical places I could point you to think about ways where you can love God with your whole soul. I think the first place is worship. I think worship is a really good place for us as creatures to love God with our whole souls. And worship's big. Worship's like a general command in Scripture, like worship the Lord, right? And that's something that we're all commanded to do, and that's a really big idea. But how that gets played out is very, very personal. You probably worship different than Garrick does, because nobody worships like Garrick does. And that's a good thing. You worship different than I do, and that's a good thing. But worship's this big command, connect with God in this big space, but also in the intricacies of what makes you, you. And worship, music, man, isn't music such a deep connection? Remember concerts, like 52 years ago? <laughs> Remember concerts, and you've like paid to see an artist you really, really love? Like you, you, you've, you, you know, you've gone on Ticketmaster or Subhub or whatever, and you paid that money, and it becomes an experience for you, and then you go, and then they play that song. And it's a full body experience. 
It's not just something you're like, oh, that's cool. They played that song. Awesome. No, you feel it. You feel it. You, you, the people around you feel it. And, and you have this sense like, man, something deeper is happening here. And if it could happen with, with secular music, it can for sure happen in this worship space. And so we have worship happening at church every single week as an invitation for you to worship and to love God with your entire being in the big and the small. I think that's one way we can love God with our whole souls. I think a second way is in relationships. I think relationships are an incredible vehicle for us to love God with our entire beings. And that's a huge call that we have in Scripture. 1 John 4, 7 tells us to love people as God has loved us. That's a giant call, and we're all called to do this. But how that gets played out in your life, that is unique to you. Those intricacies, the way that you are friends with certain people is different than the way that I'm friends with certain people. And that's a good thing. And you're to love God with the small and with the big. Have you ever thought about just an interesting observation? Like you say that a friendship is good if it's like soulmate, but it's bad if it's surface level, right? The soul is this deep space that, that only you can get when you are vulnerable and you share and you listen and you're heard and you speak. And that's what this passage is saying in the Shema. Love God with your whole soul, not only through worship, but in the way that you interact with other people. And finally, I think creativity is a really wonderful way for us to love God with our whole souls. I think that creativity does something that we see in Genesis 2 and throughout all scripture, which is us calling the non-physical into the physical. Man, we're blessed by good art. I mean, look at these stained glass walls, windows or whatever they are. They're just beautiful. And we're blessed by this. I mean, I sit back there and I, I get to look at these, these beautiful stained glass images and I think to myself, man, I'm so glad that someone was creative enough to think about this because it points me to God. And so I think we're all called to be creative, but how you are uniquely creative, man, that is all up to you. And, but the, the, the command stays the same, big or small. All of those things are meant for connection with Yahweh. And so I'll say it like this. Don't forget to love God with the big things, your loves, what makes you you, your desires, the way that you do things. But also don't forget to love God with your likes as well. Don't forget to love God with the little things as well. Because if the nefesh is the totality of our being, then we can't love God with anything less. Then we cannot love God with anything less. And so I'm gonna invite the worship team up. And, and again, we have an incredible opportunity right now to, to start living this out. Ra Rachel's gonna sing and I mean, we're inviting the Holy Spirit into this space. We're inviting the spiritual into the physical. And we are physical beings. And, and music sounds good. And I mean, Rachel and Sierra sound great. And that's a, that's a reminder for us to say, oh yeah, there's a deeper reality that's better. And so use this opportunity tonight to, to go before the Lord and really think about a couple things. One, man, think about what's vying for your soul. Think about the things that are, that are taking your soul. What, that space that's created just for a relationship with Yahweh. What are you putting in there? Is it image? Is it power? Is it money? Is it security? I don't know what it is for you. I think we'd all probably have different ones if we were to ask. But that space, you're not going to satisfy your soul in that way. And listen, you don't need a sermon for that. You don't need a sermon on my end for me to say, hey, if you put things in your soul that you shouldn't put in there, you're going to end up being unsatisfied because you've lived that story. We've all lived that story at some point where we put all of our, all of our soul into something and it blew up in our face or they walked away or it, or it ended. And man, we're left just like the psalmist said, thirsty. 
in a deep space that physical water cannot satisfy. So, so ask yourself that question tonight in prayer, during worship. What's, what's in there? What am I giving my soul over to? How am I acting? What am I thinking about? Those are the things that I think God is calling us into. But also, I think the main thing that God is calling us into is to remember the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that says, you're not too far gone. You can give your soul over a million times, but that one that you turn back to Christ, man, that's the beginning of a new story. It doesn't matter if you've heard this four times or 4,000 times. The good news is available for all of us right now that Jesus died on the cross so that you might be a son or daughter of God. You might have your soul protected by the creator of the universe who loves you and knows you and wants you to flourish and wants a relationship with you. So, so, so no matter where you're at tonight, we can take something from soul. No matter where you're at tonight, we can have a moment during worship where we say, oh yeah, that's what I've been giving myself over to. That's what I've been doing. And, and we'll be reminded through these songs or through scripture that there is someone who wants your soul and what they want to do with it isn't deplete it. They don't want to destroy it. They don't want to ruin it. They want it to flourish. They want it to be in the space that it was created to be in, which is in his presence. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for tonight, God, and I'm not going to talk too much more. I'm excited for, for the worship band to invite us deeper into a spiritual reality, God, that you want us to experience, which is that the non-physical and the physical, God, you do incredible things in that space. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that we would enter in, that we would, we, we would be bold as Coastline family, God, that we would be bold and say, whatever is happening deeper, God, in that space, we want. And that takes vulnerability. That takes a lot of courage. God, that takes a lot of faith. At the end of the day, that just takes a lot of faith to say, God, if I go there, will you meet me? And the answer is yes, you will. Your word says you will. And so we believe that, Lord. So tonight, God, I just pray that we worship. But we wouldn't just worship and sing, God, but we would worship and reflect this deeper reality, God, this deep space which represents the totality of who we are, the, entire, the entirety of ourselves, God, which says you love us and you created us and you are within us and you, we are bound to you. That's good news. And it's good news, God, that our categories, our thoughts about the soul, God, they pale in comparison to what scripture says, which is that we don't have them, we are one. And because we are them, God, you want a relationship with us. Lord, I pray we